Okay, we're looking at how to listen to a bad sermon. It's a fact of life. There's such a thing as bad sermons. Is that true? Yes, 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 yes. Have you heard a bad sermon? Yes, lately, maybe, I don't know. The question is, and we'll talk about that a little bit. The question is, how do you listen to them or do you? So, okay, so I think we've like, yeah, there are bad sermons and and uh, possibly you've heard one uh, recently. The question is, did you, hupakuo, did you apply what we have been learning? Because here's, here's the truth, and it's, in, it's at the top of your notes. Those who truly know how to hupakuo are able to listen to God speak through good sermons and through bad. And that's just a fact. Listen. God is not hindered by a bad sermon. He is not hindered by poor communication. God is the great communicator. He can speak clearly. And here's the fact, and I think we said this two weeks ago. Listen, if you're waiting to hear the perfect ser- sermon, you, you, you're never going to hear it until you sit at the feet of Jesus in heaven. The fact is, every time we come to church, we need to be able to listen to an imperfect person communicate in in an imperfect way the true message of God. And so if if we're waiting for perfection, then you're going to wait and you're going to miss what God's saying. Now, we, we talked about, according to 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, a good sermon had three characteristics. You read them with me. What are they? It's Bible revealing. It's soul searching. And it's life changing. All right. So there's some good criteria that we looked at. And then we said there were three reasons uh, or three, three, three reasons why a sermon can be bad. So you got there. All bad sermons are not created equal. All right. And so we had bad sermons for practical reasons. And that's what we looked at last week. Then you have bad sermons, as we will look this week, for textual reasons. And then there are bad sermons for what? Heretical. How do you spell it? Heretical reasons, okay? And we said that basically as you, uh, as you go from textual to heretical, it gets to the point where it's more... By the time you get to a heretical sermon, it's, more about the per, it's just as much about the person as it is about the, the message, as, as much about the messenger as it is the message. And we said for practical sermons, really what makes a, a, a practical reasons, I'm sorry, these, by the way, are practical reasons. Uh, practical reasons come down to two things. Personality, and that is not just of the preacher, it's of the, of the speaker and it's the personality of the hearer. Do you realize that? that your personality enters in on how you evaluate a message. You know, uh, We're not all going to necessarily like the same thing at the same time. And then it comes down to presentation. And we're going to see, so it's who it is and how they say it, but the message can still be very biblical and very true. All right? Textual, it's more about the passage. Textual reasons for a bad sermon has to do with the passage. It's either not, uh, it's not dealt with. We'll, well, we'll talk about why that is. 
When you get over here to heretical, now you're talking about principles. That which is taught. Okay? And by the time you get down here, you're not only talking about false teaching, you're also talking about what? False teachers, okay? The false teaching and a false teacher. Where up here you could have practical reasons for a bad sermon doesn't mean there's no heresy and, and, and the preacher's not a false teacher. And really in this area, the textual, this is where you really need to keep in mind it, what, what's being preached may be bad, it may not be biblical, but it doesn't mean the, the person preaching is a false teacher and we go, heretic, and let's, let's, let's burn him after the sermon. You know, response time. Yeah, here's our response. We're going to charge the pulpit and we're taking you to the stake and we're going to burn you. And we're going to see today that even for heretical, there's God-given principles and processes by which you deal with a heretic and with her heresy. And, and there's no room for just being crazy and, you know, jumping up in the middle of a, a, of a sermon and, and, and screaming heresy, you know, although you may at extreme moments need to uh, quietly dismiss yourself and leave. But there's just, there, there's, there's right ways to handle this. So let's take a look at it. We, we looked last week at practical reasons and we said, here's how you listen. Here's how you listen to a sermon that leaves a lot to be desired in style and presentation. And we said, number one, remember who you're expecting to hear from God and not just a man. I cannot highlight that enough. Number two, don't let your personality or preferences or those of the preacher get in the way. Uh, God has chosen to communicate truth through human personality. Number three, release unrealistic expectations and unfair comparisons. That's so important. Number four, pray. I'm telling you, you want to improve the preaching? Pray for the preacher. Pray for the teacher. Why? Because it changes your heart. And uh, the, the preacher or teacher may not be any different next week, but if I, I'm guaranteeing you, those who have prayed uh, for me and for the pastors of this church this week are more prepared and are going to think this is great lesson today than those who have not prayed. It's really that simple. Fight the frustration of being caught in a bad sermon. And then number six, encourage whenever you see progress. Hey, preachers are people too, and uh, you just you need to encourage. And, and listen, if, if you never get any encouragement, you're not going to get better. And so when you find good things, uh, what we have a tendency to do is say, wow, that was powerful to ourselves. Go home and not really communicate it. And send an email. Write a note. And, and the best encouragement is not, that was really good. The best encouragement, that was good because God showed me this. God put his finger on this. Thanks for being a messenger of God's truth. So let's look at textual reasons textual reasons that's where we're at this morning textual reasons for a bad sermon this is a sermon that's lacking in biblical content biblical insight or biblical substance the sermon may be well presented okay it might be the opposite of this the personality might be great the presentation might be awesome it's how the text the content just isn't biblical or the insight isn't scriptural, or there's not theological balance. See, often what makes for a bad sermon here is what they're saying is biblical, but they're just looking at one aspect of it, and there's just no balance to it. 
You know, it's all hell and no heaven. You know, it's all judgment and no salvation. Well, are all those things in the Bible? Yeah, but but you, there needs to be balance uh, in the presentation. So let's look at some reasons. Here, here's some reasons that a sermon can go bad for textual reasons. Number one, reading into the text what is not there. Reading into the text what is not there or the surrounding content context. And I'll, show, I'll give you some examples of these in here in a moment. Number two, getting out of the text what is not there. So sometimes we read into the Bible and sometimes we get out of the Bible that which is simply not there, and that makes for a bad textual sermon. Number three, ignoring the text, or I like to call this springboarding. Ignoring the text to write off on a personal hobby horse. So you read the passage, and then that's the last you see of it. That's the last you hear of it. It's just, it's a springboard. You know, he jumps on it for a little bit at the beginning, or maybe jumps on it at the end, but the rest of the sermon is just really riding that hobby horse off into the sunset. Now, that can be, you. some of you, see again, a lot of this has to do with hearers. Some of you may think that's a good sermon. Why? Because his hobby horse is your hobby horse. But when it's not your hobby horse, then you think it's a really bad sermon. But we ought to be concerned about any sermon, whether the hobby horse is one we like or not like. We ought to be concerned about any sermon that just springboards off of a text because that's how you can really get steered off in the wrong direction. Number four, sometimes it's just a matter of needing further study. Needing further study of the text or particular doctrine. And what I mean here is sometimes there's nothing wrong they're, they're reading the passage, they're preaching the passage, but their understanding of it is so shallow or so simplistic simply due to the fact that they just quickly read with it, ran with it, and it just doesn't really get into the depths of what God is really saying there. And I don't mean by that that the sermon can't... There's a difference between simple and simplistic, Right? A simple message can be very deep and very profound. You know, John 3.16 is a simple verse, but it is not simplistic. For God so loved the world, the sinful, rebellious world, that He gave His only begotten Son. How, how does God, you know, I mean, there's a lot of deep truth in there. So it's not simple, it's, not, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. Well, in the same way, sometimes uh, we can deal, like, for instance... If you preach a sermon on suffering or on God's sovereignty, you can get in real trouble if you don't do your study on those topics. And you can just say it's real simple. People suffer, suffer, get over it. Job did. Why can't you? See, that would be a poor textual sermon because you don't get into how Job complained and Job was bitter at times. You just don't get into the nuances of it that make it really human and very real. Make sense? God's sovereign. Yes, He's sovereign. And we need to submit to that. But we need to talk about how difficult that is to understand and how difficult that is to do. And so often a sermon just needs further study uh, to make it. Now, 
let me, I'll show you some examples. Uh, and, and I'm on a, a, a list of, of sermons, so I, I shot out there, uh, what's the worst sermon you ever heard? And believe me, preachers hear a lot of, they, they not only preach bad sermons, but they probably hear more bad sermons than they, they preach. But uh, there, one, one pastor said, there was a guy that preached uh, in one meeting um, on the robe that Jesus wore. You know, Jesus wore the robe, and then they took it, and they divided it up. And he made much much of the fact that it was torn into four parts. Okay, now that's in the text. Okay, they divided it, or actually they divided the garment. I'm not even sure that they divided it into four parts. We're already, we need to study here. We need to, you know, is that accurate? But we know he had a garment, and we know that it was divided. So he described the meaning of each part of the four parts of the robe that we're not even sure are for, but much less what the meanings of them are. And he went on and on with all kinds of made-up stuff about who made the robe, how Jesus wore it sometimes, and sometimes he didn't. It's like he claimed to know the family personally and had an inside track on how Jesus wore his robe. Now, what's the text say? It just says he had a robe, and they divided the garment there at the foot of the cross. But, I mean, this guy had a whole sermon. That's getting getting out of the text what's not there. Okay, that's getting more out of the text than what's not there. Here's one that's reading into the text. Okay, that was getting out what's not there. Here's reading into it. One of the worst violations of context was actually a winner, this is sad, in a preaching contest at a uh, preacher's meeting some time ago. Uh, It was from Mark chapter 2 where the four friends tore open a roof. Remember the story? Jesus is in the house. They can't get in. They tear the roof. The four friends, they, li- they, they let their, uh, uh, the, the sick, uh, lame friend down, and then Jesus heals him. The title of the sermon was, Four will let you down, but one will lift you up. And the four represented the world, which will let you down. And, of course, these four didn't let them. In letting them down, they were lifting him. Okay, that's... Reading into the text, what's not there? Now, so are, is this bringing to mind bad sermons from your past? Uh, here is uh, ignoring the the text, and a need. Uh, this is just. This is not only ignoring the text. This is having no text. Okay, uh, my worst includes a message at a preacher's meeting when when I had just started our church by a, a, a particular preacher, and it was titled "Garden Tools." where all the other translations of the Bible were compared to garden tools, compared to the King James Version being the true sword for battle. And the preacher said at the time, I ate it up. Okay? Now, that's just, that's, I don't know where you get all that. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you like the King James Version. I like certain versions, but I'm not going to, I can't preach that one is the sword of the Lord and the rest are just mere garden tools. Pick around the flowers if you want to. With that old NIV, I want a sword that will tackle the devil. I could just start preaching right now. Okay, that's ignoring the text. Here's another one of getting out, getting out what's not there, and it's a real good example of springboarding. One pastor said he heard in chapel at Bible College once where the preacher got up and quoted the verse, Then came John the Baptist preaching. And that is what I want to talk to you about today, Baptist preaching. <laughs> okay, and I'm I'm telling you, he, he jumped on that verse for a moment, and then he springboarded off into. And, and, and again, it might be 
it might have been good, good truths. Here's what happens in these, these type of bad textual. Often, these are good men, and often the sermons are still good. It's just not correctly tied to the passage. You know, the, the best of a bad, bad text. Here's the best of a bad textual sermon. It has nothing to do with that passage, but it's somewhere in the Bible. Okay, that's what you hope for. Okay, the worst of this kind of preaching, it's, 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 it's not only not in the passage that was read, but it's not even really in the Bible. And there, there you're moving over into what? Either heretical or just, just talking about a hobby horse that isn't, you know, it's not going to kill someone to listen to it, but why am I here? Okay, does that ring a bell at all? Okay, and then here's one with no text at all that might uh, relate a little bit to your experiences. We were at a, uh, another uh, uh, preacher meeting when some guy preached about the gold fringe on American flags being some evil conspiracy against the USA. He took out a large American flag with gold fringe, threw it on the floor, and trampled it. Our founding fathers didn't include such fringe. And uh, he said he never heard of that pastor again after he listened to that sermon. So I, I thought that was just kind of... Okay, so there's crazy stories out there, okay? And, and the sad thing is, is with the Internet, there's only more examples of such craziness that you can see. But those are all examples of reading into the text, getting out of the text what's not there, ignoring springboarding off the text, or simply needing further study. Now... Can you relate to that? Does that make sense? All right. Now, no preacher or teacher is perfect in their understanding or communication of God's perfect and errant word. Listen, the only thing that's perfect about preaching is God and His word. All right? Now, and let me throw this out. Because, uh, and I know uh, with, my, uh, with the gift of teaching and with a melancholic, choleric personality type, I get intense and I get impassionate about truth, more so than maybe other personality types. That's great. God shaped me this way. Next week, we're going to talk about God, how God has shaped each of us. Okay, so we all need our shape. But an important part of being shaped in ministry and in life is understanding your shape as well as the shape of other people. But let, let me, I, I do want to say this, that don't mistake a preacher or teacher's passion and scripture-inspired confidence for the belief that everything they are, for the belief that they think that everything they say is perfect and true. Okay, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is we live in a we live in a postmodern culture that values relevance and tolerance. See, we 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 as a culture value people that say, you know, I'm just not really sure about that. Oh, wow, you're humble. You know, I, I want to, you know, that's great. But when you stay in this culture, you know what? This is an absolute conviction. I am fully confident that this is what God says. This is true. And you need to bank your life on it. People back off and want to say, well, you're arrogant. Now, maybe I am. You know, I mean, arrogance can be in there. But here's what I'm trying to say. You study this book on any topic and you study it in its context, according to grammar, according to history, 
and you pray and you pour yourself into that text and you let God pour himself into you and you get a biblical conviction. And let me tell you, you jump out of that saying, this is truth. And you get passionate about it and you tell people about it. That doesn't mean I think I can't be wrong, but I think that's a, a positive thing. Now, we have to, you know, we have to balance that with humility and we have to balance that with saying, look, I can be wrong, but let me show you from the word of God why I think this is absolutely true. Listen, there's, we should never put a question mark where God puts a period. You with me? But in this culture, we want to put a question mark on everything. And there's some exclamation. God puts exclamation marks on truth. And when he does, we should be confident about that, recognizing, you know what? I'm fallen and I can still be wrong. And uh, there's some things that I have adjusted in my teaching. Uh, thankfully, I think I was taught well and I was taught the Bible. And so I haven't had to make major adjustments, but I'm always making adjustments. And anytime you think, whether it's me or Pastor Bruce or a guest preacher, if you think someone's off biblically, well, we're going to talk about what to do about that, okay? So let's look at that. How to listen. Well, let me, let me take you and show you that even in the New Testament, Acts 18, uh, here's an example of what could be illustrate. It's just, just an illustration, perhaps, of this idea of a bad sermon for textual reasons. Uh, Acts 18, and it happens to be uh, preached by the by a man by the name of Apollos. He was a gifted teacher in the New Testament. If you want to see an example of someone who had the gift of teaching, and yet here this gifted teacher preaches a sermon that is less than accurate uh, on, on, on the truth. Now notice in Acts 18, let's pick it up in verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, born at Alexandria an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. So here's a guy whose gifting, shape, personality, and presentation was eloquent. So he was great on this. And he was mighty in the scriptures. So he was accurate in the scriptures. But notice what happens. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And, and by the way, that's what makes for great teachers. They, they, they are great learners. First you learn, then you teach. Okay? In the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. There's that passion. I'm, ta I'm talking about when Apollos preached, he was passionate, he was confident. But that doesn't mean he didn't recognize that he still needed to learn some things. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So his text and his teaching were faithful to the scriptures. It's just that all he knew was the baptism, the water baptism of John. But this is in Acts 18. What baptism took place in Acts 2? Spirit baptism. There's a whole new baptism that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So look at what happens. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they're there hupakuoing, they're there applying the principles that we've been learning in this series, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he had desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him 
And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing them the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So here's a guy who I would assume he had heard John preaching. He had been taught that there's the coming of Christ. And so he would preach about the coming of Christ. And he needed to be told Christ has already come. And not only does he came, but John said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's happened too. And so, Apollos, you need need to uh, uh, learn a little more, study a little more, and preach more accurately. Okay, I'm just using this as an illustration. Now, we'll come back to this. But I want you to see, he wasn't teaching anything wrong. He was being faithful to the truth that he knew, but he had more to learn, okay, to adjust his message. So, that's reasons for a bad textual. Now, how do you listen to a sermon? How do you listen to a sermon that's bad for textual reasons? Well, here's number one. Avoid developing a critical spirit like the spiritual know-it-alls in the Bible. Don't, the, the worst thing you can do in this area is start getting a critical spirit where you come to a sermon and you have your Bible, and yes, we're to be a Berean. We'll see that in the next note, but you're just kind of like, boy, I'm just, I'm just waiting to find a mistake. I'm just waiting for him to mess up. You know, I, I'm just, I, I just, eh, I don't know about that. You know, and just, just sitting there with, listen, that's what the Pharisees did with Jesus. And it didn't go well. Look at Luke 11. Turn your Bibles to Luke 11. Luke 11, 53 through 54. This, here's everything about what you don't want to do in listening to a bad sermon for textual reasons. Verse 53. Luke 11, verse 53. And as he said these things, as Jesus was teaching... The scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. They started to attack him. But notice how they did. And to cross-examine him about many things. So a questioning spirit, a critical spirit. Then look at verse 54. Lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something that he might say that they might accuse him. Now that's everything wrong about how to listen to a sermon. right? And I'm telling you, They're doing this to Jesus Christ, who never sinned, never said anything wrong, and was totally accurate. Now, if you take this spirit into uh, our class or upstairs into our worship, uh, to human preachers, what's going to happen? You're going to find something. I mean, you know... I, you know, it says in James, listen to me, it says in James, do not be many teachers for they will receive a greater judgment. And when I think through of how much I have to talk and teach and preach and how easy it is to just flub up, say what you didn't mean to say, say what you shouldn't have said, say what may be not totally accurate, I tremble, right? And if I think or would think, and I don't think this, If I thought you were all sitting out there with this kind of attitude, you know what would happen? What would happen? What? Yeah, exactly. You you pull back. You go, well, I better. You you would be constantly thinking and rethinking and overthinking what you're saying. You'd retreat. You begin to play it safe. And suddenly you're preaching to please people instead of pleasing God. And you don't want that. You don't want that. 
And so it, it can be very... Now, thankfully, you guys are awesome. Our church is awesome. We don't have that kind of critical attitude. But I'm telling you, all of us, including myself, if we're not careful, we can slip into negativity and criticalness so that when we come, we're just thinking, well, I wonder what he's going to do today. You know, wonder, well, you know, oh, you know, and, and, and it's like the bar... You know, the expectation is, well, there's going to be a mess up and I want to find it. And then, then like, I get to be the hero to point it out. Okay? Now, the goal in listening to Jesus preach and teach was not soul-searching, and it was not for life change. It was to catch him in a mistake and to ask him a question that would cause him to stumble. Fault-finding was their great aim. They looked for what was wrong with Jesus and his teaching, not what was wrong with their own heart. Now, here's the deal. Here's what's funny about fault finding. And Robert mentioned this. If you look for faults, you're going to find them even in the faultless son of God. How much more are you going to find them in a fault-filled human preacher or teacher? Okay, they were committed to correcting others, not letting God correct themselves. So that's number one. Number two. Be a Berean and do your own Bible study of the passages you listen. Be a Berean. The Bereans search the scriptures. Here's what I'm trying to say. If somebody's springboarding, if somebody's reading into the text, if somebody's getting out of the text what's not there, you don't have to waste 30, 45, 50 minutes. You should have your Bible in your lap and you can study the passage and you can have God speak to you even when, he, when you're not hearing anything through the preacher. So see, there's, you can, even in a bad sermon, you can hear God speak. Now, the danger in this, and, and, and I, I experienced this uh, four weeks ago when I was on vacation. I told you it was a Father Dave message. And I was really torn because he, he springboarded off an Old Testament passage. And so I did do a little bit of study of that so I would know what the context was. And there were some great truths in it for Father's Day. But I struggled with then to, still listening to him because I, I could sense what he was saying was good and would benefit me, but it wasn't tied to the... Do, do you see the... And, and so sometimes what you... You know, this is very dangerous to say this, and you have to be discerning. Sometimes what you need to do is just, okay, let go, go with the springboard as long as it's biblical and just say, okay, here's what God has for me today, but I don't want a steady diet of this. Does that make sense? Because you may still be missing what God is speaking to you. So we just don't want to be critical. Uh, do your own Bible study. And here's the other thing. Have we applied so much of what we know about Scripture that we need to hear? I mean, you know, sometimes what we need to just sit and do when, when a pastor is going off in the wrong direction is just saying, you know what, what's the one truth in all of this that I just need to apply that I'm not applying? And again, just feed and apply it to yourself, okay? Number three. This is really good. Ask questions, seek clarification, and be open to learning together. Be open to learning together. This is what Aquila and Priscilla did with um, Apollos. They listened to Apollos, and they knew that his sermon was lacking in some areas. His, his understanding was lacking. He needed additional teaching. Now, what did, now they had, Aquila and Priscilla had some options. What were their options? Do what? To leave. They, they just, just leave him, right? And not, or to leave while he's teaching. Yeah, leave while he's teaching. Hey, I know more than he does. I don't need to stay around here. Okay, what else? What are some other options? 
Do what? Look for the fault. Say, wow, I mean, why, why doesn't he, you know, I mean, I don't know how many years this was after that, but, you know, why, you know, if he's really born again, if he's really a follower of Christ, why doesn't he know about this? And, you know, and just kind of puff yourself up and be critical. Okay. What else could they have done? Exactly. They could have just quietly listened and said the guy's messed up and walked away from him. And see, that wouldn't have been right either. Because Apollos was a teachable man. He wasn't trying to be this. He wanted to learn. He was humble. And, and so they didn't just walk away. They, they sought to learn together. So let me give you four principles from Aquila and Priscilla. They took the right approach to a sermon that is bad for textual reasons. And so here's something that you can do. And this is scary stuff. And here recently, I had to do this. And I'll share a little bit about this. Number one, they took him aside privately not publicly. Do you see that in the text? Look at verse um, verse 26. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside. You know, they didn't say, hey, you're wrong. Let's, you know, they, they didn't have a shouting match. They didn't embarrass him publicly. They took him aside privately, not publicly. I think that's so important. Number two, they took him aside personally, not impersonally. You know, they didn't send him a scroll with the six things that he did wrong. You know, they didn't send him the email. I love, and I'm being sarcastic here, I love emails uh, pointing out problems. They're so wonderful. Because I sit there with me, the screen, and the negativity on the screen, and there's no one there to talk to, the person isn't there to talk to, and it's just dumping so often, okay? No, they did it. They took him aside and they said, hey, we know, you know, I mean, I don't know what they, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm reading into the text. I don't know what they said, but you can sense that they had fellowship with him. Hey, let's look at the scriptures. Let's talk about Christ. Let's be more, they were personal. I think that's so important. Number three, they took him aside positively, not negatively. They took him aside positively. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They didn't tear him down and say, you ignoramus, why aren't you better at this? You haven't studied enough. They, they said, look, here's the positive things that would improve your teaching and your understanding. And then number four, they took him aside humbly, not proudly. If there's one thing we know about Aquila and Priscilla from the scriptures, it's these were humble people who always help Paul and whatever preachers they opened their house to have churches wherever they went they were in Corinth they had a house in their church in Rome they had a house in their church they were just humble servants of God now let me let's talk about this uh, you know I, I know uh, and, and if you were here last week we had a presentation that was lacking right in some areas and it came across maybe wrong uh, to 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 some of us or, or many I, I don't know I haven't talked to a lot of people talked to some people uh, I, I know there was aspects of it I was bothered by but so so then I had I had a challenge you know I first of all I know I'm teaching on this you know and so what you know what am I gonna do what's, what's, what do I do with this especially when I was kind of influential in, in getting uh, this individual to come and it just wasn't didn't meet my expectations you know and, and, and those things first of all they happen right they just they happen but now okay how do you do it? It might be the appropriate thing to just, you know, okay, you know, won't happen again. Just let it go, okay? 
But when you have a relationship with an individual, you don't want to do that. And I really, I knew these principles, privately, personally, positive. And I'm preaching upstairs here in a few moments on bearing, uh, not bearing false witness, which means speaking the truth in love. So I'm like, you know, I just don't feel... Co- and this individual, humble enough to ask afterwards and even email me again, hey, if there was any problems or anything... And so the door was wide open. Now, the question is, do I walk through? Now, I don't know about, again, as a preacher talking to another preacher, I, I do not vow, you know, I, I have enough of my own ministry and messages to work on that I don't need to be necessarily helping, you know, others, you know. It's just not territory that, that again, humility, all right? But I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I'm just, I'm just going to risk this. I'm going to, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to do the right thing. And so I wrote it all up, wrote, and, and we had to do it. We did it by email. And yes, I took a little bit of the chicken way out because I thought, oh, I just, I'll just, I'll just throw it out there, and then I'll follow up with a phone call. So sending out there, affirming, building up, just expressing some of the things that I had heard back. But all doing it in this way, in a, at least to the best of my ability, privately, personally, positively, humbly. And then you shoot it off. Now, here's the bad thing about email. So you're waiting. All right? Yeah, you're waiting. So I'm waiting. And so a couple hours, three hours, four hours, whatever, I get the email back. And I'm telling you what, it was just so humble. This guy was so humble. And, yeah, you know, my wife, you know, to be honest with you, my wife had mentioned several of the things that, that your people had mentioned. And, uh, you know, I, I'll work on that or may not even do, I'll, I may scrap that whole thing and never do that again. And, and it was just, so, you know, and I was just like shouting hallelujah. You know, I was just praising God because one, I knew that I hadn't misjudged this guy's character in the first place. And again, that's the issue here, ultimately, right? Because, you know, you can work on that. And I was just so, it was just so humble and so encouraging. And I thought, wow, this is the way we're supposed to do this. And it takes risking some things, and it takes being humble, you know. So anyway, I, you know, and I just kind of felt like, uh, because, again, we set a high bar and a high standard here of what you should expect. You ought to be able to come here and, in a sense, be protected, you know, from bad preaching. Amen? Right? And so if, if some, you know, if, 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 if something, a presentation or a message slips off into that, well, you know, I, I, at least I do. I, I feel a little, you know, accountable and want you to know, hey, uh, that's taken seriously, and so if you ha- if you have any questions or whatever, feel free to come. I'll talk to- talk with you about it. But just realize this: that uh, these things happen, and we just don't want to have a critical spirit about it. Amen. Okay, here's the third area, and this is worthy of a whole series. But it's heretical reasons for a bad sermon. And and most of this is just common sense. And like I said, I I just added this for completeness. But uh, we're going to have a whole series, uh, maybe in 2012, on learn to discern. Because in a relativistic postmodern age, we need to be able to discern truth and error. And and I think we need to sharpen ourselves on that. But let me give you, uh, these are, 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 are... now we're talking about a sermon that's really bad. So bad they are heretics that reject or twist some core doctrine of the Bible, often in a deceptive or dishonest way. But not always. Sometimes you can still be teaching really false teaching, and you don't think you th- you're convinced that it's right, and you're not trying to be deceptive. But that doesn't change the fact that it's false doctrine. Make sense? There's a lot of sincere people believing wrong things out there, all right? And they don't know it. 
Okay, so let's look at some heretical uh, uh, reasons for a bad sermon. Number one, they affirm an error in a central, uh, a central fundamental of the faith as revealed in the Bible. Um, they affirm what they should reject, maybe saying Jesus was only a prophet. Okay, that's Jesus was only a prophet. Well, that's, that's only part, wrong, uh, part right. He's also the Son of God. Negatively, they may reject what they should be affirming. A lot of people think the Holy Spirit's not God. They'll teach the Holy Spirit's not God. Well, they're rejecting the deity of the Holy Spirit, and that's false doctrine. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Uh, this is probably the key, key passage on this. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Notice what it says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, from the fl- come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. In other words, any teaching that denies the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, we need to reject that. And it's not just who he is. It's what he did on the cross to save us. It's his death, his burial, his resurrection. These are fundamentals of the faith. Number two. They refuse, uh, refuses to correct their teaching or ungodly living when it's shown to be wrong from the Bible. Okay, so you know you're with a false teacher. See, did Apollos get taught? Did he need teaching? Yes. Did he respond to it? Yes. Was he a false teacher? No. Over here, they're teaching something wrong. They're showing it from the Bible. They refuse to change. That's false teaching. That's a false teacher. They refuse to correct their teaching. And then number three, they teach, us, they teach others to follow their message or manner of life. So here the problem is someone may believe something wrong. Like right here in this room, some, one of you may believe some false teaching. It's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to get up here and teach others to believe it. Okay? So they affirm what they shouldn't. They refuse to... Uh, 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 confess their wrong teaching, and number three, they teach others to follow. And there's all sorts of scriptures to back it up. Now, how do you listen to a sermon that's heretical? What's the easy answer? You don't, okay? You don't, okay? But here, here's some things to do. Number one, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Here's what Romans six seventeen says. Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. Quit listen. Don't listen to them. Number two, don't fellowship with them. In those days, a false teacher was dependent on living in your home. They were dependent on hospitality. And he's saying, look, if someone teaches something wrong in the church, don't let them spend the night in your home. Now, you sit, now in this day and age, our preachers and our guest teachers don't uh, stay in your home, But what uh, piece of technology do you have in your house where you can invite false teachers to stay? Television, iPod, Internet, 
downloads. Don't listen to false teaching. You say, well, I, I, it won't influence me. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. And, and that's why, and we got some guys, college guys, that's why when, when our young people, listen, if you have college-age kids, you need to encourage them. You've got to get into a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing local church because here's the deal. In our secular colleges, you're just getting inundated with a false worldview. And, and if you saturate in that for four years without the countering influence of the Word of God, let me tell you, even the strongest Christian, I would be impacted by that in the sense of with all my training, all my study, if I sat under false teaching and saturated in a worldview for four years, let me tell you, I'd come out thinking wrong. And so you've got to be in the Word of God. Don't fellowship with them. Number three, don't fight with them. Don't fight with them. The Scriptures has a lot to say about contending for the faith, but we fight without being frightening. We contend without being contentious. So we're not out there to, to argue with people and just go crazy. Number four, do follow scriptural guidelines. Do follow scriptural guidelines for confronting false teaching and false teachers. Here's the deal. Churches go to two extremes when it comes to heresy. And we do this in our own lives. We go to two extremes. One is we overreact. And the church has done this in history by burning heretics at the stake. And the church was guilty of that. Godly men were guilty of doing that. And it was wrong. And they will be held account by God for doing that. That's an overreaction. But what's the other extreme? No reaction. And just say, well, we're, we live in a relativistic age. You know, everybody's entitled. We're, we're, we're Americans. We tolerate and, uh, you know, just everybody, you believe what you believe, I believe. And this is becoming very popular even among uh, Bible-believing preachers to just kind of say, you know what, no one can know for sure, and let's just all get along. Well, that's an, that's an underreaction. When it has to do with fundamentals. And you've got to understand that sometimes what I think is a fundamental, you know, it's measured by the Bible, not my preferences. So let, let me end with this. Don't let a bad sermon keep you from hearing God speak. Let me ask you to do three things to apply uh, these last two weeks on how to listen. First of all, recommit yourself to the seven spiritual skills. There's still some cards back there. Put it in your Bible. Read over them on Saturday night. Read over them Sunday morning. Recommit yourselves to hupakuo, putting yourself under in order to obey. Number two. Pray for us in our church. Pray for the preachers. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the teachers in VBS. Pray for the teachers in Awana, in, in the Promise Kids, the Kingdom Kids. Pray that God would give us good practical presentation, good textual understanding, and that God would keep us from heresy and false teaching. But here's number three. Learn to discern between sermons that are bad for practical reasons, for textual reasons, and for heretical. You need to be able to discern. Now, what am I hearing here? Is it bad just because the guy's boring? Is it bad because he's springboarding? Or is it bad because, you know what? I'm, getting, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to false doctrine. 
possibly a false teacher, and you need to adjust your hearing according to what you're, you know. Here, you need to, you know, possibly get up, leave, certainly never go back to that website, don't go back to that church, don't listen to that, run from that, am I right? Because I'm telling you, you know, and I mean, I had even for, you know, I can tell you experiences of people in this class got under false teaching, and it influenced them. It influences your family, and, and, if, and if you don't get pulled out of it, rescued out of it by the grace of God and God's people, you're stuck. But if I'm here, well, I, you know, I, can st- I have my Bible. I can still get something out of this. Uh, you kinda, I, here's my approach to a bad sermon like this, as long as it's not your regular pastor or your regular teacher. I just say, this too will pass. Okay? This too will pass. I don't need to get worked up about it. You know, I, I, I can get it. And then here, hey, encourage and pray for better preaching, better teaching. Is that, good? Is that practical stuff? You know what? And it's not because I'm teaching it. This can be life-saving stuff. This can be life save. This can be eternal life or eternal death. And uh, we just need to thank God that we get good preaching, good teaching, and that God is gracious with that. Amen? And I say that to His glory. I say that to His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your grace. It's so abundant to us, giving us the word, the word of truth. And you're a God who speaks truth. We're going to learn upstairs this morning that we not only are you true and speak true, but we need to speak the truth. And we need to be able to discern truth and error. And so I hope this message has equipped us to do that. Thank you for these people. They're good listeners. They're good uh, uh, learners of the truth. Help us to be as good in our application as we are in our hearing. And may this series on Hupakuo really help us to be quick to hear, quick to obey from the heart, and to hear you speak through your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.